トセール1022名ご利用する機ご利用のお客様へご登場接種のご案内申し上げます。I think one of us should say Rad Strangest, then another should say International. You know what I'm saying? Well, come two, okay. Rad, Smith. <laughs> like, what do <are> you. <laughs> no, one of us would say. Welcome to Camp Rad Strangeness International. Welcome, campers, to another episode of your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad. A podcast that meters in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, manga, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and trying to raise our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. We are your camp counselors, Woody Brown and Tyler Bentz. Man, I cannot believe the Camp Rad Strangeness is here. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the first, this is the kickoff episode to what I think is going to be an incredible summer. Yeah, we got all all kinds of stuff. You know, Camp Rad Strangers for us is, I mean, if we're being honest, it's not that different right. from our regular show. But because we have such an affinity and nostalgia for that, like, summer camp vibe and, like, that... Wes Anderson, Cub Scouts, kind of like thing. We sleep just sleepaway camp. Yeah, sleepaway. Yeah, the yeah, the like horror slasher movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, or wait, what did you call it that time? Thrasher. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Thrasher movies. We really like make it a a thing over the summer, and we really try to you know less about conspiracy, less about our good pre- luck. Our, well, yeah, our pre-internet mysteries, and more about like uh, you know sort of like monsters and cryptids mm-hmm. and like. Just weird kind of stuff. And this year is even cooler because this year is our first year that we're going global. We're talking about international monsters and cryptids. Yeah, man. Just focusing on that like intersection where like the strange and the weird kind of just collide mm-hmm. in a lot of these stories and focusing on something that we've kind of been obsessing over a little bit over the past couple of years, which is, and we're kind of leaning towards that, it, are these like very obscure. Mm-hmm crazy stories from around the world that we certainly haven't been as accustomed to or or even know about, really. Yeah, it's those, you know, I, I think at the end of every episode, I pretty much put out a plea to everyone that, you know, we have we have a good bit of international listeners. And here's another plea. If you have any of these sort of very localized accounts or things that aren't really on the radar, I mean, I think the internet was like a real a real boon as far as this kind of stuff goes because suddenly all this stuff kind of came together and and now we're hearing about stuff that, you know, you would have only ever found in like, you know, some obscure like Charles Fort book or, you know, in the back of a dusty library. Like now it's all sort of together and 
accessible, it's a little easier to do these days. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I've been thinking about this this lately. And as a, for many of you folks that don't know, my, uh, well, two jobs. I'm a comic book artist and illustrator and a graphic designer. And as a graphic designer, my my background or my sort of leaning was in like branding, you know, and like logo design and that kind of thing. And so mm-hmm. something that I've been, I've been thinking about lately is this idea of these characters or these sort of representations of these brands that are just kind of like innately in us. It's almost like they're in this sort of international zeitgeist and everyone just kind of knows it. You know, I'm talking about like the Pillsbury Doughboy, Tony mm-hmm. the Tiger, Jolly Green Giant, Smokey the Bear, uh, which apparently has only ever been Smokey Bear. But Mandela Effect says that it's always been, to me, Smokey the Bear. Mm-hmm. Aunt Jemima, Mr. Peanut, like Mr. Clean. These are these characters that, you know, you can make a reference and, I mean, at least, uh, I mean, well, I don't, is it international? Yeah, I mean, like, it, it, Yes. Would oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I okay. mean immediately, okay. well, that and there's, you know, the hilarious knockoffs. So like immediately <laughs> when you started saying this, it's like, you know, yeah, man, you're right. It's like we're surrounded by all these things. Like mm-hmm. Tony the Tiger. I mean, if you grew up in the eighties like we did, Saturday morning cartoons, mm. you know, that's whenever they just pumped you full of ads oh, for whatever the latest sugar cereal was and and new character, new cartoon character that was representing it mm-hmm. to make you be like, Hey mom, dad. I want to try honey smacks. Yeah, right. But in, in Indonesia, for example, there would be like some, and oh, I boy. mean, God, I wish to God I would have kept some of the the cereal boxes and stuff. I oh, mean, me like too. just random, you know, Timmy the, uh, you know, <laughs> leopard or whatever. I mean, just like random stuff, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. hilarious, dude. Yeah, that is one of the things that, you know, we are a little fortunate to live in America, especially as like 80s and 90s kids, because like, mm-hmm. it's just the way it is. I'm not, and it's not like throwing shade to anyone else, especially during Camp Rad Strangers International. But it is funny that like America sort of leads that, um, you know, in media. Heart disease. <laughs> yeah, obesity. <laughs> no, they yeah. sort of lead the charge in like media. And so all these other countries do, you know, pretty commonly like copy and, Man, I, I I would love if if you would have kept some of that stuff because yeah, you know, at, like in as a graphic designer, like that stuff is just so fascinating. Anyway, all that to say, boy, that's enough rambling. All of that to say, the reason I bring this up is because there's one character that falls in this category, and it's a character that, like we we mentioned before, I've I and Woody and probably all of you listening, we've known about. Since we were little kids, we've seen this character and we've associated it with a brand. But I think there's a little more meat on that bone. There's a little more, would you say, like darkness maybe that surrounds it? I mean, I don't know, man. You've kind of kept me in the dark on this one. I'm kind of excited about this, but okay. I was well, going to say there's something okay, go ahead, weird sir. there. Like the more you kind of loosely talked about it with me, there's something going on here. Yeah, I think so too. And this is something that I actually only discovered several years ago. Uh, and this character that I'm I'm being so sketchy about is the Michelin Man. Many of you probably don't know that the Michelin Man actually has a name. I did not. He is referred to as the Babendum, which 
Mm. is kind of odd because it's it's from a slogan called Nuts est bebendum, which means in Latin, now is the time to drink. Okay. Which is really odd, just in general. Um, yeah. So f- for the, those very, very few folks that probably don't know what I'm talking about, the Michelin Man is this character much like the... You know, what would you say? Like, sort of like Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man? Yeah, like, I mean, I think as I... And it's so funny, dude, because I literally... We just literally bought some Michelin tires for my wife's there car. There you go. So that's... that's uh, synchronicity, synchronicity abounds. Synchronicity there. Mm-hmm. And I would say, like, if you're unfamiliar with this brand, which I'm pretty sure it's global. I mean, I, oh, I yeah. know, but... You know, it's just kind of like almost like a Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man looking thing that is uh, apparently made of, of tires and not marshmallows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, okay, you might be thinking to yourself, listener, real quick, yeah, but he's like white. Why is that? Well, something that I learned several years ago mm-hmm. in Milwaukee at the um, Harley Davidson Museum. Now, before you ask, no, I don't have a Harley. I was there for a business conference and that's where the event was and it was absolutely fascinating mm. actually and i didn't know this man i didn't know that rubber i mean it's kind of common sense but initially the tires that they made for people in those early like motorcycles and cars and stuff they were white yep it wasn't until later that they made them like the black rubber tires that we we know of now yeah, so I, anyhow i'm sorry the michelin man white <laughs> anyhow the michelin man is is you know, a, a stack of white tires, basically. Yeah, it, it's that's really an interesting fact because in 1912, uh, they would introduce carbon into the process of rubber and it was known to, you know, basically give a ton of longevity to the tire. And so from then on, they were, they were black. So while attending the Universal and Colonial Exposition in Leon in 1894... Uh, Edward and Andre Michelin noticed a stack of tires that suggested to Edward the figure of a man without arms. Four years later, Andre met French cartoonist, and boy, I am going to butcher these names, but here it goes. Uh, French cartoonist uh, Marius Rosillon, popularly known as Ogalope, who showed him a rejected image he had created for a Munich brewery, a large regal figure holding a huge glass of beer and quoting Horace's phrase, Nuts est bebendum, now is the time for drinking. Andre immediately suggested replacing the man with a figure made from tires, and Ogalope adapted the image, the earlier image into the Michelin's brand symbol. Today, bebendum, or the Michelin man, is one of the world's most recognized trademarks representing Michelin in over 150 countries. Yeah, which is well, there you go. pretty fascinating. Yeah. I mean, yeah, man. It, I think it is the longest running brand mascot that has ever existed, which is pretty I fascinating. Mean, I was going to say, even just like brand that has stood the test of time and not oh, yeah. changed names a million times, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, especially as like a, somebody who's, you know, into branding and stuff, it's, it is very, I don't know. It's, it's really admirable to have this this brand not just you know if, so often you see like these companies that are like oh we got to we got to you know get younger we got to get hip like let's just get rid of you know this 
this mascot or get rid of mm. certain things mm-hmm. that like make the brand like what it is. And so sure. I think that's fascinating. I mean, now the Babindum or the Michelin Man, he has gone through different phases. In the early days, he was depicted as all sorts of bizarre things. He was a gladiator, mm-hmm. a nimble ballroom dancer, a kickboxer, a pleasure-seeking ladies' man. Uh-oh. Huh? Yep. Okay. Who <laughs> loved uh, to drink beer and was always seen smoking a cigar. Okay. That, and that the whole thing was, you know, originally, you know, vehicles, automobiles were sort of a sign of wealth, you know, so that mm-hmm. was, you know, you're sort of... Uh, richer folks were the people that were driving automobiles. And so they had this character who was always sort of holding a goblet and, you know, smoking cigars. And he had these like, um, it's kind of like glasses, but just with like the little monocle string. Yeah. In the original. I don't know. It's almost kind of like depicting sort of what was happening in that, I mean. Like culturally. Just that target. Yeah. That target market Mm -hmm. culturally. Yeah, yeah, right. A man about town. Kind yes. Of thing. A James Bond figure, but just like plump and made a tie. <laughs> Which is... <I> mean, <laughs> Sorry, ladies. <laughs> boy, it is bizarre because even the... Okay, so one of the most bizarre things, and I, again, as a graphic designer, I look at this and I wonder like, I wonder if this was just the artist just being lazy and being like, I'm just going to leave it. So... This this sort of image of him holding this like sort of goblet, which would have wine, but it's filled with uh, like spikes and nails and broken glass, because I, apparently, you know, like I said, the, the the phrase "babindum" comes from now is the time to drink. So their whole thing was like, you know, uh, Michelin tires. We will, you know, drink up any obstacle in the road. It feels a little forced. <laughs> maybe yeah 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 or just like straight up maybe there's just some nuances sort of missed in translation a little bit mm-hmm. but it's kind of hard to say that because it's like yeah but he's holding a like a, a martini glass full of <laughs> nails and horseshoes and stuff so yeah. i mean like to me the message is pretty clear here yeah. it's also interesting too because it almost looks like in this specific picture and by the way we'll share these for sure boy they get weird and this one specifically it's almost like he's got these like teddy roosevelt sort of like bionicle you know mm, just mm-hmm. they're attached by a string you just put them on your face kind of yeah. glasses and then like he's holding this um that's a great martini reference. glass full of hazards and it's like a human hand with like a dresser on. It's almost like this suit is, mm-hmm. he's like wearing this suit. Yeah. It's very weird. Yeah, it's really weird. I mean, and, you know, like I said before, even more weird are the ones, you know, where he's like a gladiator and he's like fighting what looks like a mummy. And he has like a, like a hubcap with like a wheel <laughs> as like his shield, like when he's a gladiator and a knife in the other hand. Mm. It's just odd. It's real, real, real odd. But it, again, you know, it, hindsight's twenty twenty, and it's hard to... Right. Sometimes it's hard to... To me, it's kind of like, I kind of like that one. That's kind of like an... And now, I don't oh, I love understand it. any French, and mm. not to spoil future episodes of, of where we're heading this summer, mm-hmm. uh, my family and I, but it is a French-speaking area, right. and I don't know any. Real quick, one of the things that's so strange about this dude... Well, not so strange. It's just like, it's interesting, the history about it. 
like strip the strangeness from it for just a second. The history is really kind of pretty cool, dude, because like literally until you said, hey, man, you ever heard of the Michelin Man? I'm like, dude, are you, is it, are you joking with me? Mm-hmm. Is this like a trick question? Is this a, is this another Mandela effect thing? <laughs> I just thought, well, yeah, you know, it's, I literally didn't know that it was a French, it, like it came from, it came from France. I didn't mm-hmm. know that it was, I didn't know any of its history. And to see like some of these pictures and these ad campaigns mm-hmm. and like how like in, uh, incredibly sort of immersive this was, this is like, bigger than like Tony the Tiger or yeah I think so you know, stuff like that mm-hmm. listen to this dude I, I mean you might go into this but like I didn't know this so in 1907 Michelin launched this like Italian travel magazine mm-hmm. and Vipendum was given a regular column yeah. in this magazine to pin his thoughts mm-hmm. I mean like what's he talking about here like oh don't worry about your tires on this road oh yeah 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 I mean, he would apparently like talk about different cultures and his particular fondness for Italy. And uh, I read this quote says, Oh, you sublime Madonna, Rome's destiny, accept my homage. You whose eyes shine with the splendors of the Renaissance. And it's like, Yeah, that's great. Hey, man, we're still selling tires, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I I think it's cool because it, and it's pretty smart. I mean, you, you got to think at the beginning of the era of the automobile, you know, you had this tire company who I, I think they would like hand out these sort of like magazines or, or pamphlet type things uh, when you mm-hmm. bought these tires. And basically in these pamphlets, it would it would, you know, tell you like where to go. It kind of reminds me of like the, you know, like when you would go on those sort of great American road trips Mm-hmm. And the Rand McNally, or something yeah, like that. yeah, and it would have like yeah. like little tips of like, oh, be sure to check out Claude's restaurant. It's mm-hmm. blah 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 blah, like little stuff like that. So this was sort of a way of telling you, you know, where to go, what to check out, and it was sort of free advertisement too for for the restaurants and all that kind of stuff. Which is how mm-hmm. we entered into the era of the Michelin star and and mm-hmm. that kind of whole thing. But like, it's pretty cool i mean him like being a gladiator and protecting the customer and blah 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 there's another picture where it's like he shows up on the side of the road these people have a flat and he's just like literally giving his like a a tire that's around his stomach like to them kind of thing so Mm -hmm. to me the fact that it normalizes this character it's innovative it's less weird seeming if it was just hey this is strange kind of art this is just a brand Mm -hmm. that exists but on the surface to everyone listening even can be like, I don't understand why are we talking about the Michelin man? Mm-hmm. You know, as as you kind of alluded to earlier, it gets a little weird. So <laughs> yeah. that's when it becomes like even stranger. Yeah, it definitely it definitely gets strange. So the reason we bring this up is as a whole, yes, the Michelin man for most of us is sort of embedded in the sort of cultural zeitgeist we've it's a character that we've always known about but when we get back from the break we're going to talk about some things that involve actual sightings of these babendum uh encounters these babendum entities you know sneaking through people's bedrooms at night it gets weird so when we get back from the break let's get into it 
After these messages, we'll be right back. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, this is Bryce Johnson from the Bigfoot Collectors Club, and you're listening to Tyler and Woody on That Would Be Rad, because that is rad. Well, like I said before, there is a lot of real weird stuff associated with the Michelin Man. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that this is physically the Michelin Man. But okay. these accounts that we're going to get into, I mean, they're they're weird. They're kind of a little spooky. I mean, to be honest, like when I kind of got into this several years ago, when I realized that there was more to the Michelin Man as just sort of a brand mascot, and and then seeing those like early early images of like you know the mm. illustrations of how he looked, yeah. there's something about this that is so creepy to me. And, you know, then you take it from looking bizarre and having a cigar in his mouth and having this sort of lifeless look and these, like, spindly little legs and stuff. Mm. Then you take that, and now we bring him into the real world, and now we have sightings of this character all across the globe. So to kick this off, we have several accounts that I kind of want to cover. 
And Woody, I want you to set the tone. I just sent you the oldest one to date, and uh, let's hear about it. Okay, here we go. The earliest sighting I know of happened here in the UK, and it dates back to 1926. Late one night in 1926, a young boy named Henry Thomas was playing hide-and-seek with two of his friends. This all happened in Bolton, Lancashire, and it was way past his bedtime. It was Henry's turn to be the seeker, so his friends ran off to hide. I don't know exactly what sort of place he lived in back then, but I do know a lot of suburban housing in the north of England were these long terraces of houses with small, high-walled backyards that also led out onto a narrow alleyway that ran between the houses. From reading the report, this is the kind of image it conjures up as he was looking for his friends. He saw that the gate to someone's yard was slightly ajar, and he went in to investigate. Inside the yard, he saw three strange humanoids looking into the back window of the house. Their outfits were made of bulky silver gray tubes, which made them look like the Michelin Man. Except that they had transparent dome-like helmets connected via tubes to canisters on their backs. There goes, Busters. <laughs> As Henry entered the yard, the three creatures suddenly spun around so that he could now see their faces. Their heads were pale and shaped like light bulbs. They had narrow slits for eyes and mouths. One of the creatures made a weird gurgling noise. Then all three of them advanced toward him. Naturally, he was terrified and he ran away. But he later said that although he was frightened, he didn't really feel threatened by the creatures, and they seemed to be acting quite friendly. That's the end, son. Hmm. Oof. So now we got Michelin Man, Spaceman with Ghostbuster packs on? Yeah, I mean, it does, It you know, I don't want to give away the goose here, but... Well, then don't. <laughs> okay, we'll wait. So that was back in the 20s, and... I, I wasn't able to find anything in between the 20s to the 50s. But in the 50s, there was a, a, a ton of different cases, especially in France, which, you know, it is a French company. So, you know, our skeptics will say, oh, well, it was just some sort of brand recognition thing. And they were, you know, filling in the blanks in their mind of what they were seeing. This first case involves a girl and her father uh, they were walking in a meadow in northern France when a ball of light dropped out of the sky and landed in front of them. When it stopped, they saw that it was translucent saucer and inside was a character of about 1.4 meters in height and looked like the Michelin Man. But it was wearing some sort of motorcycle helmet from which tubes emerged to touch the canisters on his shoulders. The figure stood motionless, staring at the girl and she was held transfixed to the spot. Then the saucer rose back into the sky and vanished. In 1954, a few years later, a husband and wife were driving along the road again in northern France. 
about 200 miles north of the last sighting. They saw a light ahead of them on the road, and when they got closer, they saw that it was coming from a large shell-like object, which was made of a white metallic-looking material. Inside, they would see a four-foot humanoid in a rolled suit that looked just like the Michelin Man, but wearing a large helmet with tubes. The couple drove on without stopping. Strangely, the car's headlights went out as they got close to the shell and came on again when they got a distance away from it. So there's definitely some some sort of, you know, bleed through. Or what am I trying to say? There's some connective tissue between all of these these three mm-hmm. you know stories where there's some sort of figure that these people see mm-hmm. it reminds them of the Michelin man and then with the exception of there seems to be some sort of like backpack yeah or tubes and helmets involved yeah i mean this this is why it was hard for me to not you know bring that up but i mean it's hard to get around it i mean they're basically kind of explaining what sounds a little like a spacesuit. Mm-hmm. You know, they're talking about these tubes coming out and they're connecting to these. I think it was really interesting, your case back in the 20s and then the case with the that I just read about the father and the daughter, they both would see they that it had like canisters on its shoulders or back and then the tubes mm-hmm. were coming out of this like sort of motorcycle helmet connected to those canisters. I mean, that sounds and- like... Straight up to time travel. Yeah, time, you know, I was going to say that. I mean, mm-hmm. it sounds like time travel, but also, like, we kind of mention this whenever we get into the late 1800s, early 1900s, like, technology and almost like this, like, steampunk type. Right. Like, I just imagine this suit that's like, there's these canisters, there's like strange, like, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, like weird, like, sounds and it just like turns around. And then I start like thinking about the hilarity of it just being somebody that's like, wait, wait, don't get scared. And they're like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, it's just like this mad scientist that just happens to live there. But anytime yeah. I hear about like 1926, somebody witnessing something like this, other than the fact that I guess maybe it shares some characteristics physically with the Michelin man, mm-hmm. there's, I mean, I, I don't know. And I, I hate to ask this question because then it kind of makes me seem a little, um, unstudied, if you will, but I don't know of, uh, let's say, a a prominent sci-fi franchise or book or whatever that existed in in the early 1900s that would have prompted them to kind of connect these dots and have similar uh, uh, encounters with something. Right, right. Well, and and also, you know, not to... I mean, we still... We're still going to go through a lot of encounters, but... You know, not to, like, jump the gun, but, like, was the original Michelin Man, you know, what was that inspired by? I mean, obviously, we hear that this story of these two, the two Michelin brothers. It's like, you know, one saw a stack of tires and was like, oh, if you put arms and legs on it, it you know, it's a mascot. But, like, I don't know, being in branding and that kind of thing, like those sort mm-hmm. of Paul Bunyan tales, like, you got to kind of take those with a grain of salt as well. Yeah. What, what, dude, what's funny is as you were saying that, and by the way, like, I truly 100%, I knew that you were going to talk about the Michelin Man mm-hmm. and that's it. Right. Yeah. And my knowledge of it was it's going to be the same sort of stay puffed character that's on the side of my wife's mm-hmm. tires. But like, I had this, like, as you were saying 
their version of that story. It's funny because before we even started the episode, like early this morning, I wrote down like an idea of kind of, and I think we're probably going to start to move in this direction here, but this idea that I had of how he could have come to be. Mm -hmm. Can I just read you literally what I wrote down? Yeah, dude. Okay, check this out. So it's funny that you mentioned like, I don't know if that's how they really did it. So this is, I mean, I'll even take a picture of this if people want to, but this is what I said. I almost imagine this Geppetto type creator guy who has like, in you know, again, I don't know how detailed you want me to get, but visually I kind of imagine, you know, that the character in like, he's like the dad in 101 Dalmatians. Oh yeah, I love him. You know, that super like skinny sort of mm -hmm. like kind of artist kind of dude. Anyways, so... Always smoking. He, always smoking a pipe or something. Mm -hmm. It has a pipe. stack of these like white rubber tires laying around this like stuffy late 1800s France apartment mm. or French apartment. And these tires are just like laying around as a source of like potential inspiration. This guy has been working on this project for, you know, a while. Mm -hmm. The deadline's coming up, if not already one of them's already passed kind of thing. He's he's feeling the pressure here. Mm -hmm. He's fallen asleep at his drafting table and the the ground's just kind of littered with like crumpled up, you know, you know, ideas that he's abandoned and he's just having a really tough time. Well, in his sort of mental exhaustion, his physical exhaustion from just staying up late and and burning the candle from both ends, mm -hmm. he's fallen asleep at this drafting table. Well, he also knocked this like inkwell that he had over I'm, and it's I'm now spilled feeling. over <laughs> it's now spilled over and ruined his latest idea well mm -hmm. he gets awoken by some sort of sound and he's like ah oh, he's just like staring at this like ink splotch across what he spent hours kind of half-heartedly sort of putting together but he's still mad because he's like oh great you know man, I'm going to miss the deadline. I don't even have anything to show him. And he notices the ink as he's kind of like looking around. It runs down the drafting table, down now. It's on the ground and there's like a puddle of it that leads back behind him, like almost in like a little stream of sorts of ink, mm. right, on his floor. Mm -hmm. Well, he looks back and this ink is now like kind of smudged and collected at the bottom of the stack of these white rubber tires which again, he's just like, oh man, not only do I not have anything to show these people, but I've also ruined these dang white rubber tires with this black ink. And just as he's thinking that, this stack of tires stands up and she's like, hello. Mm. <laughs> and he's just like, ah, you know, falls backwards. Anyways, that's just this. That's terrifying. Scene that like played in my head this morning. That's awesome. As I was thinking of like, how could somebody, how could this thing come to life? Mm. You know, and it's like mm -hmm. that popped into my head and I thought, man, that would be so terrifying, but also cool. And then is he now spending the rest of the time trying to like, hey man, you got to calm down. But he's just like also thankful that he's got this idea. Now he's got a character mm. that he can kind of almost like Encino Man style, like go to school and say, hey man, yeah, of course I've created this. But there really is a character back at home that's causing havoc and that he's got to kind of try to trap or, or calm down or whatever. So he's initially created like a golem or a tulpa. Yep, that accidentally. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's like now sort of on the loose. Sure. And my version of it kind of really reemphasizes re what we talk about a lot about like this power of creation, right? And so it's the mm. ink that sort of brought life to this creature. 
Mm. And uh, and his ideas while he was dreaming and all that kind of stuff. So, anyways, I, I know like that's that. kind of out there, but I, I wrote it down. I thought this is kind of a cool. No, that's way cool, man. Thing here. It is weird, and and we'll touch on. Um, so I'm kind of well trying as much as I can to work sort of chronologically. But th- one of the things that's interesting is like as we get into these sort of newer sightings, mm-hmm. you start seeing a little more of like the the high strangeness that is kind of, in a way, close to like what you're talking about. Rad strangeness. Yeah, f- for sure, rad strangeness. But let's get back to it. So a man that was referred to only as Monsieur Droguet was returning home from the movies one night in May 1955 in the French city of Dinan. He was startled by a beam of blue-green light coming from a strange object floating above the ground. And if that wasn't strange enough, there were two creatures standing beside the object, clad in metallic coveralls similar to those worn by Woody. Uh, the Michelin, Michelin Man. man. Okay. <laughs> Don't make me guess like that. I'm like, oh, coveralls. Um, uh, 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 Huck Finn. Well, those are over. Are those overalls? Coveralls? I always yeah, get those overalls, confused. Yeah. Similar to those worn by the Michelin Man. Their heads were covered by large helmets and both figures were gloved, engaged in what appeared to be an effort to collect soil samples. One of the entities paused to look into the craft through a porthole, which is one of my favorite things about early Mm -hmm. ufology. Just the idea of these Mm portholes in UFOs, it's awesome. Causing the terrified human to believe that more similarly clad occupants were still waiting inside. Droguet reported feeling a symptom familiar to other witnesses of close encounters of the third kind. He wanted to flee the scene desperately. He was terrified, but he was also riveted in place by an unknown force, conscious that the entities were aware of his presence, which that brings up what I threw out there last week about that sort of like entanglement theory or the observer effect of like somehow these things have the ability to know that you're looking at them, which is, Pretty fascinating. Yeah, um, and there's also this aspect of of this, like, you know, when you mentioned this about the portholes, it, it reminded me of conversations that we've had with, you know, Joshua Cutchin, mm. we've had with one another, where we're talking about, like, the, almost like this phenomenon when different people can experience the same event. Right. And see something, you know, different based on their own life experience. I think we even talked about this with Bryce, you know, how the this time period, they're like, oh, it's a porthole. Mm-hmm. And then nowadays, are we looking at the same craft? But then we would just, we would certainly use descriptive language, you know, based more on our own sort like of a screen. life experience and zeitgeist. Right. Yeah. Um, it's just super, super interesting. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's one of those things too that sort of accompanies, I mean, it does make you, you think of like, you know, and I'm not saying that that all of these are this, but I do think it's interesting that the only thing that these people would sort of have to compare to this thing would be just this stack of tires, Michelin Man. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at our spacesuits from, you know, the moon landing, right. if you mm-hmm. believe in that, um, <laughs> you know, they're sort of this like chubby, mm-hmm. big helmet, you know, like big kind of boots and 
I mean, you can kind of see how the comparison would be made, you know. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, because this literally just happened to me this morning too, like there is an element of it when you have something sort of at the forefront of your mind mm-hmm. and then you find yourself in a not scary situation, but one where there's any kind of mystique involved. I'll give you my personal example. Mm-hmm. So this morning, it was very early in the morning. The sun was just barely coming up. 2.30 a.m. And no, no, no. It was like closer to 6. And it's still light outside, but it's still kind of in my neighborhood where I was walking. There, there's this wooded area that is kind of my favorite place because it's still somewhat untouched, right? There's no houses there. It's just mm-hmm. kind of like wild wilderness. And we see deer all the time and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I was just kind of listening to some music and just, you know, thinking about this show and all this. And for some reason, I was just, I looked up into this elevated area, elevated in comparison to where I am on the road, right? So this is like hill to Mm -hmm. my right. And I look up and then the way that the sun was kind of beginning to beam through the trees I was kind of thinking about Bigfoot and all this kind of stuff. Like, man, I mean, wouldn't it be funny? And I was walking forward and the way that the light kind of moved in the trees and stuff, like, I, sw- I, I swear, I was like, huh, did mm-hmm. I just, right? Oh, yeah. And I made like this fallen tree stump, basically, in my mind, looked like the shape of what it could have been like any sort of creature in the woods, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, it's not like I'm walking around just like oh, on edge and scared and so stuff. It's just scared. I had was so scared. <laughs> I, I immediately called my wife and said, I need you to come pick me up. <laughs> There's a shadow. Um, I'm 30 feet you know, from the house, but I'm I afraid. sometimes wonder, right, that like these, and I'm not saying again, I'm not trying to diminish any of these accounts or what the, the kid in 1923 saw or anything like that. But I often wonder sometimes, because your mind is such a powerful thing, yeah. are there moments where you find yourself in a heightened state because of some sort of fear or mystique and you end up kind of seeing something like that? It's just one, even having said that just now, mm-hmm. would I be able to imagine all those intricate details of like tubes and glossy yeah. helmets and you know what I mean? Yeah, it's it is weird, but but I do think that I I think the tubes and the helmets actually kind of give a little more credibility. Like to me, I feel like especially these cases that are you know in in France where, you know, the Michelin man would have been, you know, you didn't have a ton of like TV. I don't know when Michelin the Michelin tire company really like blew up over here. Or, you know, internationally where people could, were seeing this, this mascot. But like, I think that's pretty interesting that they sort of, not only did they draw a comparison to the Michelin Man, but then they also said, oh, but there was also, there were also tubes connected to these canisters on their back. Mm. One of the things that, that, uh, you know, getting back into like Monsieur Droguet, that he says, which is actually a pretty good point is, you know, when the Michelin men returned to their craft, you know, they walked up this ladder. He says that he was intrigued by the halting movement of these visitors. 
almost reminding him of how deep sea divers would conduct themselves at the bottom of the ocean. Their shoes making a metallic ring as they walked on the ground. So, so not only are they sort of describing like this, you know, Michelin mascot, but they're also, there's also a little bit of that sort of deep sea diver thing thrown in there too. So like maybe, maybe that's part of it that they're just adding in like, oh, well, maybe it's like a spaceman and, and he would have to have like a tank, like a deep sea diver. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. I think that's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It says that as the, the craft lit up as they, as the, uh, you know, the two figures would walk up the ladder and it would rise slowly into the air, spinning at a high speed. And then after it sort of sped off, then Monsieur Droguet was able to move because this whole time he hasn't, he's been sort of frozen, which is that sort of tractor beam, mm-hmm. you know, sort of motif as though freed from an invisible force. He ran back to his dwelling, super freaked out. And apparently he remained silent with this for 15 years. I guess he went to the authorities, like the police, and they told him to keep it quiet. And then the case would later appear in a June 1970 issue of uh, Lumiere's Dans la Nuit, at the time a prestigious French UFO publication. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's really cool, man. Between the 60s and 1979, there was a ton of other sightings that would would kind of be, you know, happen all over the world. And Woody, here is another one that uh, I would like you to read that's uh, somewhat related that was featured in the same magazine. Oh, okay. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. The Michelin Men would reappear years later in another distant location, the island of Madagascar off the coast of Africa. A farmer looking for fodder for his animals in an Ancasia forest clearing in 1968 had an amazing encounter with an oval object with a transparent windshield. One that he said was like the windshield of a, oh God, Peugeot. I say Peugeot. I think it's Peugeot. I think Peugeot is what it is. Peugeot 404. Oh, it's a French automobile. We don't know much about him here in the States. (laughs) All right. Within the confines of the shiny object, the farmer reportedly saw two small figures, quote, wearing outfits like the ones in the Michelin advertisements. Realizing they were being spied upon, the figures decided to make a retreat. The farmer found himself engulfed in a white flash of light, accompanied by a gust of heated air. The oval-shaped craft had vanished in place, not taken off into the skies back to a distant star, but simply vanished. Mm. The farmer, a man of impeccable reputation, did not hesitate to tell his story to the local constable. Officers of the law visited the site and found traces of radiation in the soil and, more alarmingly, on the farmer's clothing. Mm. Now, real quick, this kind of reminds me a little bit of the Flatwoods monster in, in a way. Yeah. Right? The, the police come and they check it out and they're like, oh man, what is this? Okay. Mm-hmm. Hear more about the Flatwoods monster on That Would Be Rad, Season 1, Episode 34, The Flatwoods Monster Episode. Lumere dans la nuit had, and for I just want to pat myself on the back. I probably said <laughs> it wrong, good. but it sounded so legit. Nailed it. That's, that's the prestigious French UFO magazine. Oh, okay. Had another intriguing case that had transpired in Madagascar. 
although not involving the oddly suited characters. This time, in the December 1976 issue, it included a story that was told by a member of the French Foreign Legion, whose unit was engaged in a reconnaissance operation in the island's wilderness. Oh, cool. On a yeah, but I mean, you know, yippee, the French army, like, what are they going to do? <laughs> Bake me some bread? I'm not putting that in there, but seriously. Okay. No, but I mean, that's that's cool. Like, anytime the military... What are they, like, they going <laughs> to bake me some bread? What are you, trying to find a good oven? You got to make me a coffee? Yeah. In the neighborhood. What is he, looking for snails? Okay. <laughs> but, hey, I'd do like escargot. No, I thank love you. it. All right. On a sunny, cloudless day, the witness plus 23 other legionnaires beheld a glowing object described as having the color of a new coin shining in the sunlight, descending from the sky in a falling leaf motion. Hmm. A classic behavior exhibited by unidentified flying objects in the early years. It made a rapid descent, hitting the ground suddenly, sending out a shockwave. The soldiers were paralyzed. Much like Droguet in 1955, and the nameless farmer in the late 1960s. They said, all of us saw the machine land and depart, but none of us perceived the passage of time. The legionnaire sharing his story with the French UFO publication went on to add, we were freed from the paralysis upon the object's departure, and we had been in the same place throughout the entire event. When we checked the time, however, we realized that nearly three hours had elapsed without Ooh. becoming aware of it. This missing time, so common to the abductee era of the 1990s, had serious consequences for the military detachment, which had failed to radio back to its base despite repeated requests. The legionnaire stressed that the object was smooth, bore no markings, and was oval in shape. Mmm. See, there's that that like uh, like tractor beam, like frozen in place thing. Mm -hmm. Just like the uh, stuff that happened to those folks in the Gulf Breeze, man. Yeah, dude. Mm -hmm. Hear more about this rad strangeness on That Would Be Rad, Season Three, Episode Twenty: The Gulf Breeze UFO Incident. It's it's it is fascinating. I mean, it, it's one of those things that like, I mean, I know it's so easy to just chalk it up as like, oh well. You know, this guy must have heard a story from this, but it's just like, man, especially back in the 60s and 50s, just the idea that like, I mean, I don't know. It's like we, we didn't have the internet. So uh -huh. to know these obscure like sort of behavior associated with these sort of these UFOs or these sightings, I just feel like that's just like those little bits of high strangeness that that just act as like connective tissue, you know? Mm. Mm -hmm. Which, to me, kind of give it credibility. For sure, man. We'll return after these messages. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. Or a vampire. You think you really know what's happening around here, don't you? We're fighters for truth justice 
in the American way. Hey, this is Woody. And this is Tyler. And you're listening to That Would Be Rad. And now, back to our show. In May 1960, Antonio Ribera, a local teacher, was at a crossroads between Arcos de la Frontera and El Bosque. Both towns being the province of Cadiz, Spain. And he was returning from a, uh, from a motorcycle trip when he just already cooler. Already cooler than any of the French stories. Oh, yeah. Re- <laughs> returning from a motorcycle trip when he discerned a strange human-like being about 150 meters that's 500 feet or so for you American listeners, away on a short, steep uphill incline of the highway that was ahead of him. He describes the being as follows. He was completely red from head to foot and suddenly appeared at the edge of the highway, rather tall, something like two meters or six to seven feet or more. He was having trouble walking and his walking was like a mechanical doll, that is to say, like a robot with stiff arms. After stopping his motorcycle, he saw the humanoid was walking on the edge of the road, and before going six steps, another individual of similar characteristics appeared and was following him. Like his predecessor, he appeared suddenly. The second humanoid was not so tall, as he measured about one meter 20 centimeters, or 311 basically. And though he was also dressed in red, he had one difference with respect to his predecessor. He had a black boot. Mm-hmm. Ribera could not remember if the boot was on the left foot or on the right one, but he certifies that he saw it like that. The two humanoids then crossed the highway at an angle, and Ribera saw the ringed outlines of the beings with the classic shape of the Michelin Man. Ribera decided to get a little closer. And while he debated with himself over the danger about his decision here, he started up his vehicle. On reaching the curve in the highway to head toward the slope where the humanoid where the humanoids were located, they had disappeared in the same mysterious manner that they had originally appeared. Hmm. I love that. So my next story takes place in Brazil uh, in 1962. The community of Oh, boy. Ida Burrito entered the annals of ufology on the August 30th of that year. A group of friends had gone to a local movie theater and then left the last show just short of midnight. They gathered for a spot of friendly conversation on a street corner, and their conversation was interrupted by a sharp whistling sound. That sounds pretty familiar, huh? Mm-hmm. All three looked up to see an object floating in the night sky some 100 feet in the air over a eucalyptus grove some 200 feet away. According to Luis Gonzaga, one of the three friends, a diminutive creature, was walking toward them, bearing a strong resemblance to the figure used by the Michelin Tire Factory. Mm. The onlookers agreed that the diminutive figure seemed obese, large-headed, and with short arms, which it swung rhythmically as it walked. Its legs were similarly short and bulky, The disconcerting entity was clad in a uniform made of material resembling leather, which that's pretty weird. Mm -hmm. I almost imagine like, I mean, that could be like, you know, if you imagine tires that were white, I mean, that could look like leather, you know, I guess. 
Uh, what happened next was as uncanny as the sighting itself. Two of the three young men ran off, screaming in the night, leaving Luis Gonzaga alone in the corner. Unable to move, as if riveted in place for an entire minute, the squat UFO knot had disappeared and the object became gradually brighter until its glow seemed to encompass the entire area. The UFO's light diminished and Gonzaga was able to move again. He would later find himself plagued with migraine headaches for an entire month. The paralysis in this case was similar to what was experienced by Monsieur Droguet in France seven years earlier. Man. That's fascinating, man. Yeah. So, so, so fascinating. It's like, I never in a million years could have guessed, right, that mm-hmm. there, when when you said anything about the Michelin Man, I, I, I don't know. It just makes it scarier, man, because somehow, like, the fact that it's just such a household image and mm-hmm. brand and all that, that we're all so familiar with, just imagining it in those circumstances, even if it was friendly, right? You're just sitting outside yeah. on your back porch, you're enjoying a nice cold pop, or as mm-hmm. we say down south, a nice cold Coke. And that could mean Mountain Dew, that could mean whatever. <laughs> it could mean anything, anything, anything yeah. that's got bubbles. And mm-hmm. you're just trying to relax, man. You've had a hard day. You've been editing a podcast for a million years. And all of a sudden from the woods or something, this, even if it was the most friendly looking Michelin man, mm-hmm. forget about the spacesuit. That would be terrifying. Yeah. There, there is something just, I mean, it's, again, it's that, it's that high strangeness thing that like, I mean, it seems, you know, silly, but like once you sort of take that like out of your imagination as like this sort of cartoony thing, you know, it's like once you take that and put it, into the real world, imagine that, like, coming towards you at night. Mm. It gets real scary real fast. Yeah. So this is a report by a guy named Gordon Crichton of Flying Saucer Review that was written in 1975. This time was on Reunion Island, uh, which is adjacent to Madagascar. The event took place sometime in February of that year when a man found a hat-shaped machine making a buzzing sound on the property surrounding his hut. Much like Monsieur Droguet, 20 years earlier, the anonymous citizen was frozen in place, unable to make a break for safety. A little man emerged from the machine. He said he wore a strange outfit like the one in the Michelin advertisement. He moved nimbly down the ladder, but as he touched the ground, his movements became awkward, causing him to walk with his feet close together. I don't totally understand that, but... I don't know. To the witness's consternation, two more similarly outfitted creatures descended from the machine, engaging in the oft-repeated soil collection routine and then re-entering their craft, which took off with a loud whistling sound, which, I mean, whistling, the high-pitched sound, that's from the other one that we just read about. The witness fell to the ground, released from the unnatural paralysis. He rose and made a run for his parents' cottage Investigators would subsequently find strange marks on the ground forming a triangle. So again, like all of these cases have this weird like paralysis Mm. thing, you know? It's so strange to me too. Like, well, it's interesting, uh, strange and rad that all of them have some sort of, there's some sort of connection to a UFO experience, a craft. Mm -hmm. But what I love about it and the thing for me that makes me like super intrigued by it all is these crafts don't just like 
fly away. They just right poof. They just vanish. Yeah. And the fact yeah, that I like agree, those man. two that that guy in Spain saw just kind of appeared out of nowhere. It makes me think of you know window areas and and places yep. you know like at Skinwalker Ranch and stuff where there may or may not be areas where for whatever reason things kind of slip in and out of you know the uh this is sort of like in and out of the simulation um, <laughs> yeah or our whatever our dimension represents so what do you i've got another one that's really cool and we're still in the 70s which is a good place to be on sunday march 14th 1976 oh, that's the bicentennial year man mm. that was the year my mom graduated Robin Williams. okay the last thing on the minds of Vicente Correll and his wife Carmen was an encounter with beings from another world. Their son had just been drafted in Spain's compulsory military service, and tearful goodbyes had been exchanged at the Drafty Induction Center, located in the town of Marines. I don't... Okay. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of mm. tough words in this one. Uh did the Michelin Man write this article? I think so. After spending the day in the town, the Krells began the long trip back home to their town of Almenara, driving along small roads of Spain's Castellón region. At around 10 p.m., the couple found itself facing a strange phenomenon in the night skies, a brilliant white oval that floated lazily to the left of their own car. Believing at first that it might be the headlights of a car on a nearby hill, the Corrells steered their vehicle toward their ultimate destination. No sooner had the vehicle gone a few hundred feet did they become aware of the fact that all was not well. The alarmed couple thought that they were driving into a luminous tornado of sorts as a very curious object appeared to rise out of the ground. Bathing the object with his car's high beams, Mr. Carell, or I'm sorry, Senor Carell, was startled to see that it was a person. He said, I suppose that it had two legs, he would tell distinguished Spanish investigator Juan Jose Benitez, who investigated the case, because it reminded me of a human profile, he said. However, since they, the legs, were so close together, it looked more like a column than a human being. The thing was tall good-looking, and wore a close-fitting one-piece outfit. The outlandish entity stood on the ground in what Vicente Correll described as a military tin-hut position, arms stiffly at its side and ramrod straight, looking at the oncoming vehicle. The couple's initial fashion... The couple's initial fascination changed to fear as the vehicle's lights suddenly went out leaving them now in pitch blackness. The smell of burning wires soon filled the passenger compartment, and Carell was forced to pull over. While all this happened, the entity vanished into the darkness. Vicente and Carmen Carell, their car's electrical system ruined, were left to wonder what on earth had happened. According to researcher Benitez, Mrs. Carell proved to have a much better recall of the situation than her husband, adding the interesting detail that the entity's outfit was made of a narrow, 
slightly inflated bands from its neck down to its waist. She went as far as to describe the entity as similar to Vibendum, the world-famous Michelin Man. Mm. A distinguished friend and colleague, Bruno Cardenosa, had the following to add on the case in his recent book of El Misterio OVNI, Un Alto Secreto al Descubierto. Ufologist Manuel Adieji Very good, revisited the, way, the case. Yeah, thank you, man. I can see, I can handle Spanish. Ufologist Manuel Adieji revisited the case. His conclusions, which I list below, seem very interesting to me and show that the thing, or the Michelin Man, aside from having a notorious physical existence, issued some sort of energy charge that caused Mr. Carell's car to short circuit. The fact that the figure grew in size as the car approached indicated that it was acquiring an electrostatic charge until it reached a saturation point, ionizing the air until it produced light. Composed by negative ions as it was, the body never touched the ground. One can suppose that upon coming up, upon coming up to the figure, the vehicle could have brushed against it or come in contact with the container's electrostatic charge, which would have discharged itself against the vehicle with two specific outcomes. First, the humanoid would have lost its luminosity as its potential would have been reduced down to a value insufficient to produce ionization. And second, the car would become negatively charged, causing its lighting system to fail. Now, for those of you listening, we got real science there. And for yeah. folks like Tyler, I apologize. But mm-hmm. the science is necessary, and I'm glad that they did that. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a great example of how, you know, not always are these things investigated by just kooks and <laughs> and people living in their mother's basements. But, like, you know, true scientifically minded mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. that, I mean, I never would have thought to even think of it in that mm-hmm. way, you know? Yeah. That's, I think that's oh, fascinating. I love that, man. Yeah, it's really, really cool. This case specifically here is interesting because now we kind of have the benefit of, um, I think maybe for this one, since it's so visual, maybe, you know, with the cover art, we also have like, they can swipe to see other pictures maybe. Just a thought mm-hmm. because... The thing about it is as soon as I started reading the story that you that you handed me with the small, thin inflated tubes, it reminds me right. of like a much earlier version of the Michelin, uh, Michelin Man. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and right. the fact that the husband said he was like smartly dressed and like he had like a mm-hmm. you know, suit jacket on. It's less sort of spaceship, uh, you know, driven and more like that sort of like more like fancy. bicycle tire. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, it's more of the the fancy sort of like, um, uh, you know, socialite version of the Michelin Man. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is weird though that the wife said that it was from the neck down to the waist. Yeah, like the bands. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of how I feel these days. You know, that's part that's part of the reason why I've started you know getting some walking in, strengthening the knee up again because I'm starting to look like you know small thin bands of from neck to waist. <laughs> I just have this mental image of you just taking your morning walks, just wearing only a turtleneck, mm-hmm. just totally pantsless, yeah, yeah, yeah. shoeless. Well, maybe yeah, some like those puppies breathe, you know. <laughs> okay, so now we're gonna get into 
some of the more weird ones. Boy, they get weirder than this, huh? Well, here's where sort of the the high strangeness sort of comes in. You know, let, I, I felt like the ones we've read about so far are very, very much in line with, you know, that sort of 50s, 60s, early 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, UFO experiences. Ufology and like spacemen and that kind of thing. These are a little a little newer and a little more, they just get weird. And some of these are on, there's like a humanoid encounter Reddit where a guy by the name, well, his username, however, is Goofball John McGee. He says, I saw the Michelin Man in my house. This is surreal, but a little funny as well. I'm not sure. I was reclining on my couch, staring at the ceiling while I listened to some music. If it helps, I was listening to The Who. And that does it help. It does help. Goofball. Goofball, yeah. I love, I love it. it man. A little while later, I noticed myself zoning out to the thoughts and theories and what it what if scenarios that would just give me stress. So I snap out of it and I look to my side and there he is. The Michelin man, about a foot away from my couch. Hand held up and head leaning in towards me. Oh god. That is terrifying. Yeah, that head lean stuff, man. Good <laughs> oh, lord. God. Which he says here, he did not look scary. I was not afraid. I was curious. It was as if he was about to grab me, but I saw him, and like some cartoon, he stopped midway. And then I would see him walk backwards while still looking at me. He went behind the curtains of the gallery and just sort of disappeared between them. For some really strange reason, I didn't feel like getting up and investigating. I just laid back and resumed my music. It just kind of sunk into me now, and I thought I would share. I don't feel scared or threatened or anything. In fact, I find myself smiling a little, even thinking about it. Mm. I don't know what's really going on, but I've had many encounters, and this is one of the most strange. I mean, listen, you can't see. I applaud Tyler for getting through it. Uh, You can't see me the entire time. I'm shaking my head. Nope. Mm Mm-mm. Yeah. I I applaud, and and, and, and I'm, I'm very happy for the the mindset that people have when they can experience what they what you just read and not just be like mm-hmm. trying to karate chop this uh creature entity thing person intruder right in the face i i just i don't know that i would find myself it's the head tilt man it's the hey you weren't there a second yeah. ago and now you are terrifying i i just feel like sometimes you know wait, is there something about these types of entities and creatures, almost like on a biological level, that maybe they're, they are, I don't know, man. And I'm not saying the Michelin Man's bad. I'm just saying, let's just pretend for a mm-hmm. second that I'm a bad guy entity. Well, instead of having this thing like freak out and everything, you would try to make it like, hey, everything's okay somehow without even having to say that out loud. In other words, is there a gas involved? Is there some sort of uh, mental sort of, um, mm. you know, psych weapon that's able to calm the victim down, you know? Well, you know what that reminded me of? It reminded me of my own personal encounter with when I was a kid and I had that sort of shadow person encounter. And this is something that is like so common. I, and I'm pretty sure we even talked about it with uh, Joshua Cutchin when we had him on. But it's that idea that you, you know, and most times, you know, a lot of kids, this will happen to like kids, but you'll have this like intensely traumatic experience, but then you'll just fall asleep 
Mm-hmm. And I, that happened to me. Yeah. I mean, it's it's probably the most scary thing that I've ever experienced, but yet, you know, somehow along the line, I just fell asleep. Hmm. So I think there, I think there is something to that. And speaking of high strangeness and the more weird ones, why don't you take a gander at the one that I just gave to you? All right. This Reddit user says, I had an encounter with what I have always described in my family as a marshmallow man. When I was three, back in 1976, in Seattle, Washington. It was morning, my bedroom was light, and my closet door opened. I sat up in bed as this white, friendly-looking, puffy creature came out of the closet and kind of float-walked to my bed. It didn't speak. And I remember being very curious, but having zero fear, which in and of itself is pretty odd when a creature comes out of your closet. I asked something like, where did you come from? Or who are you? No answer. He then kind of tipped over onto my bed and fell across my legs. I remember saying, are you okay? And feeling an almost maternal concern. He never spoke, but I could feel the weight of him against my legs, which were under the covers, as the blankets pulled tight. This has never, to this day, and I'm now 49, felt like a dream when I think back on it. The edges are totally sharp. It felt like absolute reality. Through the years, I've tried to convince myself I was dreaming, and you kind of feel like an idiot claiming anything else to people. But... In my heart, I've always wondered. My son recently came across this info on the Babendum, which none of us had ever heard of. And I was struck by the similarities to my childhood encounter. Very, very interesting and validating. Oh, that's a weird one. Oh, my God, man. Yeah. Hmm. That, that's an odd one. Speaking of odd, check this one out. We will return after these messages. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very intense. For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures. From another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. This is Joshua Cutchen, and you're at my home for weirdness. That would be rad. This is from another Reddit post. It says, when I was a young kid, maybe five or six, I had an encounter with something almost like a cloud person. This happened on two separate occasions. The first time was in my kitchen, and as I turned the corner, it was almost like I caught this entity by surprise. Get ready. It was in my mom's nightgown by the sink. What? The only part with definition was the gown. It had arms and I think legs, but it was almost shaped like the Michelin Man. And it was translucent white that got brighter and denser the more inward you looked. It didn't speak, but kind of waved its arms at me, not necessarily in a friendly manner, but communicatively. The second time was about a year or two later. It was also in my kitchen. I was looking out the window at one that was the size of a child that was playing outside, but he was wearing my coat. Hmm. I mean, what? I don't know, man. It gets freakier and freakier. 
It does, man. Like and it kind of putting on somebody's clothes and being like, oh, maybe this will trick them. I mean, I mean, it kind of gets into, I mean, for us, I know all roads lead to this, but it, there's like that Sam the Sandown Clown mm-hmm. element. Mm-hmm. Hear more about this rad strangeness on That Would Be Rad, Season 1, Episode 7, Sam the Sandown Ghost Clown. There's that like, especially with, with like the nightgown and, and like the it's almost like the, the leaning down. Yes. Yeah, like, like the Harlequin. And like almost like a really sort of like simplistic mind a little bit in that like, oh, I'll, right. oh everybody in this world wears these things. I'll just put it on and they won't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah, very right. almost like mm-hmm. innocent sort of attempt. So if we can kind of just like assume that because so far we haven't heard about any and you might be, you know, just holding these close to the chest, there's no, there's not been any sort of like harm done by this no. entity yet that, that's been reported, right? Not, yeah, no, not that we know. So of. then if we can assume that it's actually just potentially like a friendly entity or whatever, um, or these are all friendly experiences, then it kind of like sounds more to me like that sort of like almost not brainless, but like almost childlike I guess naivete. Well, and, and that's that's where I think that I I get the Sam the Sandown clown mm-hmm. kind of vibe. But this one doesn't it's even that speak, like, you know. Well, yeah, it doesn't speak, but it does have this sort of like, Hi, like I'm Baymax. Oh, I, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, well, kind of, yeah. But it has that like that sort of thing that's like, oh well, th- I'm going to do what I think a child would find, like, amusing. Mm-hmm. Or, like, the Harlequin, how it says, oh, don't be scared, I'm the Tooth Fairy. Jesus. Which, I mean, is double scary. But it's that idea that, like, something's trying to, like, sort of make you not scared, you know? Yeah. I don't understand the nightgown. That's that's bizarre. To that's me. what I'm saying. Like, to me, it just seems like, oh, oh I heard a sound. You know, picked up this thing and just like, here we go. I'm hiding. You know? Yeah. Like, that kind of... Thing. Well, Woody, why don't you go ahead and read this next one for us? Okay. I mean, we're, we're going down the road, but they just get more and more weird. Okay, hold on. When I was maybe six or seven years old, 1979 or 1980, I woke up to a creature wearing a Michelin Man suit standing in front of me in my living room. I was lying on the floor and it was standing over me, so it's hard to estimate its height. I did see its face, though. It was very wrinkly, and its head was pointed. I passed out shortly after looking at its face. Finally, somebody, See? finally there's somebody out there like me, okay. Not like, oh, I just wanted to, you know, open a beer and say, hey, man, where are you from? Okay. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but he passed yeah, out. Yeah, that's what I'm that's saying. What I was just talking yeah. about. Finally, someone like me, I'd be like, oh, boom, he's out. That's it. Mm-hmm. That was the experience. Yeah. Okay. I used to describe the suit as looking like Robbie the Robot until I saw the Michelin Man on a poster. I'm not sure what this character was doing in New Jersey, but I've always struggled with having seen things that haven't been reported anywhere else. Man, we gotta contact this person. Another person commented on the thread and said, I definitely saw one of these entities back in the early 80s. I'm 100% sure of it. The face was blank, no expression, no eyes, mouth, nose, just blank. The being was average human height, moved slowly, almost hovering, perhaps a centimeter or so from the ground. It moved along the streets, 
and it was the early hours of the morning, but still light out, or early hours of the morning and light outside. And as it reached the corner, it turned back, and here where we get, this is where we started to get freaky here, and beckoned mm. to us as if asking us to follow it. See, when I've told people about this, I've always said it looked a bit like the Michelin Man, but only found out that this was a phenomenon after Googling it. Oh man. Wowzer, dude. That's weird. So this is actually from a book by the author Annie Wilder, who wrote a book called Trucker Ghost Stories. It was kind of a big book in the paranormal. And um, it's it's weird because a lot of the stuff is more sort of ghosts and phantoms and stuff. But she has this one story that it kind of blows me away. She relates something that happened to her back in 1985. And here it goes. Annie was driving from North Dakota to Minnesota with her sister and two brothers in the car. Because it was a long journey, Annie and her brother took turns driving. Not long after heading off, they drove into a massive blizzard, which made driving really treacherous, but instead of stopping, they just kept driving through the night. Later the next morning, after dropping off one of her brothers, and he was at the wheel driving the last few hours on the I-95. It was about 4 a.m., she was sleep-deprived, and half-blinded by the constant whirling hypnotic snow, which that immediately takes me back to touring, driving mm-hmm. up north. At this point, her sister is asleep in the passenger seat next to her, and her brother is sleeping in the back seat. Up ahead on the road, she sees the red lights of an articulated lorry. I don't know what that is. Probably some sort of truck. And as she pulls closer, she sees at first what she takes to be a bundle of rags or a loose tarp flapping on the back of the truck. This is where it gets scary. Mm. But as she gets closer still, she sees that it's actually the Michelin Man hanging onto the back of the truck, Mm. attached by what looked like handcuffs or a metal claw on the end of his arm. She even sees his cartoon face looking back and smiling at her. Even stranger still, she notices that the Michelin Man is moving. He keeps moving ahead, then turning back to look up at her And then he waves his arms in a motion as if to say, come on, come on. Now you might say that a sleep deprived and highly stressed person driving into the hypnotic snowstorm might simply be a hallucination. But then her sister woke up and said, did you see that marshmallow man on the back of the truck? They followed the truck for about, yeah, they followed the truck for about two hours. So this wasn't some brief sighting. And they both talked together about what they were seeing. Eventually, they drove off the I-95 and lost sight of him, but she's been mystified by the sighting ever since. As far as the Michelin Man encounters go, it sounds like Annie Wilder might, it sounds like Annie Wilder met the friendly modern-day tire man, which is lucky for her because the Michelin Man used to be a little terrifying. Man. I think that is such a crazy one. Yeah, dude. Okay, so you do one, and then I got one to end it, and we're done. Yours is pretty short, though. And it's from Australia, so make sure you... Is it an Australian accent or what? I thought I'd share my experience so it's known that I've had a sighting in Australia. The southwest corner of Western Australia, to be exact. I lived in a tiny town. I was around 10, and I was walking with my 11-year-old friend to her house, which was just down the road. It was dark, but there were a few streetlights. As we reached the middle of the road, we stopped and just both stared to our right for around 20 seconds in silence, in complete stillness. As we watched this entity walk across the road, 
about 50 meters away. My immediate thought was a ghost. Only years later did I make the connection that it looked almost exactly like the Michelin Man. It walked slowly and very purposely, but quite like a human except that it floated a few centimeters above the ground as it did so. Mm. It looked light as a feather and around the size of an average adult with blobby white fat rolls which looked like a suit but were more so the body itself, white and slightly glowing. It stopped in the middle of the road and very slowly turned and looked at us. It only had eyes and a mouth, but more like holes than a human's. It had a look of emptiness. It looked lost, but it also looked a bit shocked. It may have slowly raised its hand as to say hi, but that is the only memory that I'm not exactly sure of. Then it continued on its way. My friend and I both looked at each other and screamed. Then I said on the count of three, say what you saw. We both said a ghost at the same time. Then we described to each other what it looked like. The only difference was that she said it looked shimmery. I didn't see that. Dude, there is something about... And it's weird because I don't know if this is like like a cultural thing, but it is weird because th- this, again, takes me back to Sam the Sandown Clown where, where Faye asks Sam, are you a ghost? Because of his strange white features, they asked, Are you really a man? <laughs> no. They also asked, Well then, are you a ghost? In which he answered vaguely, Well, not really, but I am, in an odd sort of way. Well, what exactly are you then? They continued, but only obtained the answer, You know. Hear more about this rad strangeness on That Would Be Rad, Season 1, Episode 7, Sam the Sandown Ghost Clown. Mm, mm-hmm. And it's like, what? what is that about these these characters? Is that like a cultural thing of that era? Or, or what, you know, like why, why is that like the thing that comes to mind? Yeah, you mean like the sort of white floating? Well, no, but like the, the you know, obviously like they could have said, oh, it's a, it's a spaceman mm. or it's a, the, you know, whatever. But it's like, they, like so many times, especially with these weird sort of, you know, once you get into like the 70s and 80s, they, they start sort of referring to it as like a ghost. And yeah. I feel like the characteristics kind of changed almost like there's not necessarily, but almost like there's two different things going on here. On one side, you've got sort of like the more sort of spaceman um, Mm -hmm. or some kind of suit that's being worn with, you know, either a backpack or like some tubes. There's some mechanical, there's something mechanical in nature about it. And then like a helmet with some clear glass and that kind of thing. And then mm-hmm. later uh, in the 70s and a little bit in the 60s and stuff too, then it becomes more of like a, you know, like a translucent, white, shimmery, mm-hmm. less metallic type thing that they're seeing or, or encountering. Yeah. This one specifically, for example, 
you know, um, kind of seems more, I guess, more ghost-like, if you will. Just I think they're just trying to, their mind is trying to wrap itself around, like, what the mm-hmm. are they seeing? You know, like, it's floating yeah, a little right. bit, it's white, oh, I guess it's a ghost, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's that is interesting. In these like newer ones, the more sort of like bedroom encounters or like seeing it, it's like all of these are like floating a few a few centimeters or inches off the ground. Mm. That's pretty. That's pretty wild. Going back to the space, sort of the like, y- you know, euphonaut or spaceman. I just want to send you something. Check out this picture. Because I think we may have figured out what this particular character is. Oh, man. Which is one of my favorite topics that we will do an episode on, but that is the Solway Firth Spaceman. Hmm. And boy, he looks just like what we're talking about. Yeah, so I think if they're one and the same, then perhaps the Solway Spaceman was like the more fit version, you know? Right. This is after he took all the exams to become like an astronaut from wherever they came from. Well, this could, he comes to Earth and he has like like Tony the Tiger ads (laughs) and he eats a lot of frosted flakes. Next thing you know, he's got, you know, spare tires around his waist. Hey, man, I get you, Salzburg. What is it? Uh, Solway first. That's what I said. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, there's actually a whole lot more to this story, uh, especially that like most sort of podcasts even talk about. But yeah, this is something that we may have to revisit here for uh, Camp Rad Strangeness International. Mm-hmm. You know, man, I, th- I think with all these different uh, encounters and this strange and certainly rad history about this uh, yeah. character, I think we should dive into what our thoughts are on it all. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you really kind of nailed it because initially— you know, whenever I first heard the story, you know, several years back, when I heard that there was more to it just being like just a brand mascot or whatever, you know, you you immediately start hearing these accounts of sort of the, like Woody said, like the more sort of spaceman type, you know, sightings or encounters. And I think the, the one thing that we've sort of discovered while doing the research for the show is is kind of what you were saying. I feel like there's, I think there's like two different things at play. I think these early, you know, the one that goes back to 1926 through the 50s, 60s, 70s. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess maybe early 70s. But then once you get into like the mid to late 70s, into the 80s, and then there's another one. There was a recent one that happened in 2015 where another woman looked out and there was an, an abandoned lot and her dog ran off kind of thing. And she sees the same thing and it, and it waved. It's, it feels like a completely different thing. It almost feels like those early ones were, they were using the Michelin man mascot as like a reference point. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, but then they would go on to say like, Oh, well there were like tubes or wires connecting to a canister on his back. So, to me, that feels very sort of old school ufology, like that awesome golden age of, of you know, weird sort of sci-fi ufology kind of stuff. 
but then there, then it kind of takes a, I don't know if I would say sinister in the new, more modern era, but there is something that's like really scary to me about yeah. these ones that are appearing in bedrooms or in the middle of the night walking down the street and they'll just do this wave. Like that's so scary to me. Yeah, no. And I think it's like we're bringing our own baggage into it, right? It's scary to oh, us, yeah. but it's, man, I, I, I kind of feel bad for the uh, Michelin man a little bit because it's like automatically <laughs> we're like, you know, terrified of that thought. But that just mm-hmm. goes to, you know, uh, I mean, I don't know, man, that anything that wants to just appear out of nowhere, I don't care how cute or mm-hmm. cuddly. I'm going to not be super happy about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, right. Look, don't disturb my slumber, man. You know? <laughs> and even... Well, the one thing that was... Oh, God. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, like, I, I I kind of feel bad, but it's it's kind of like in, in other ways, it's somewhat reassuring and, I don't know, it's somewhat reassuring that there aren't really any cases that we've talked about where it's just like, you know, the Michelin man showed up and then ate somebody or something. Yeah. He stole a kid yeah, or something. Right. I mean, that one, there was that one account where it was kind of like beckoning it potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like I, for some reason, I kind of feel like, and maybe that is kind of part of the reason why most of these people weren't scared of it. Maybe there is some sort of aspect of it. It's sort of like you wouldn't be terrified of a, you know, two-year-old that let's say you're on the playground, your kids are up on the slide or whatever. And this, you know how mm-hmm. sometimes a random kid will just like walk up and be like, this is my dinosaur. You know, you wouldn't be terrified yeah. of that because there's that sense that, you know, this is like an innocent little creature, yeah, this right. innocent little kid or whatever. Maybe that's mm-hmm. kind of the vibe that they're getting from this thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I Well, I, and I wonder, it is interesting because you made the point earlier saying that there, you know, maybe it's some sort of like, like tech or like some sort of um, something that is based on like technology that's that could tie in with those mm-hmm. early fifties and sixties ones, where like the the people were like paralyzed. Yeah, you know, I think it's. Oh yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Part, sure. Yeah, yeah, all those old ones. Like, I mean, almost every single one has that common thing where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I was just frozen until the ship flew away uh, and then I can move again. But then it is interesting to look at this, like, even though I kind of look at these as two sort of separate things, mm-hmm. you know, in the modern yeah. age and then the, the old ones, it is weird because in the the modern ones, they're kind of doing the same thing, but in a different sure. way. It's not like paralyzing somebody. It's sort of like, Putting them at ease. Yeah, well, what's like, interesting is now that I'm thinking about that, the way that you phrase that, you know, a lot of these folks had missing time or they said, well, you mm-hmm. know, they were walking really slowly. Mm-hmm. Maybe their perception was that they were walking slowly because they were in that sort of like frozen sort of like state. You know what I'm saying? Something oh, like that. Another yeah. thing that I thought about was, man, what an interesting defense mechanism. You know, if yeah, these things right. are not evil creatures and they don't wish us harm and they're really just like Mm -hmm. let's just say and we're getting way out there but welcome to rad strangeness um Mm. let's say that they are visiting from another planet or another dimension okay and all they want to do is observe well maybe just by observing human nature in general they can get a pretty quick sort of cross-section and think like well there's a high probability that anybody that sees us because we don't look like them might be scared and they might mm. shoot us or hurt us with whatever weapons they have access to. And so so that right. we don't hurt them, 
and so that they don't hurt us, freeze ray. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Which mm-hmm. I think is pretty dang. Yeah, it, it's pretty cool, man. Yeah, it's super cool. I just, man, I'm gonna have like st- here. Here's why I keep saying it's scary because <laughs> I, I'm a person. I've said before, I don't really get scared of stuff. I'm not afraid of the. I like I walk around my house in the dark, like stuff like that doesn't bother me. But I'm telling you, once you see these these pictures, if you haven't already, of the of the early version of the Michelin Man, especially like the what looks like the homemade suits from like the 1800s. And then imagining that like sitting in your living room is, it's pretty terrifying. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's, there's an, like I see those pictures sometimes like, hello, my baby. Hello. my You know, like Mm -hmm. it's more like silly, but again, like you're saying like that weird sort of like silliness on top of it being just, appearing out of nowhere certainly does add to that like fear factor you know same with sam down yeah, sam the sam down right clown now. it's like you know there's something about it that while it seems innocent just oh my god look at yeah these. now tell me tell me tell me how it's about all the innocence i mean imagine that sitting in your living room leaning down while you're laying on your couch now i will say God, oh what's my, hilarious about this is, <laughs> dude, if somebody like early on was like, okay, this is this thing looks weird, or let's just say it's like in an old like warehouse. So what we're describing right now, folks, is, um, you know, with like Pure many terror. many mascots and stuff. Like you go to Disney, there's someone in a Mickey Mouse um right. costume, okay. or the or Chuck E. Cheese, Chuck E. Or- Cheese, or whatever it is. They had back then. Uh, people apparently that dressed in these Michelin Man sort of costumes mm-hmm. and would like go to events, and so you're looking at this very strange uh, uniform costume, whatever you want to call it. Just doing uh, it's just it's very strange. So now I'm imagining <laughs> them being like, "Hey, hey, uh, Frederick, you know, here's the thing, man. We're gonna have to dial that. We're gonna have to take that down a couple of notches." We'll just do the print ads. Let's not do the in-person stuff. Oh, okay, no problem. Yeah. They fold it up. They put it in a box. 20, 30, 40, 50 years goes by. There may be moving locations. And uh, they're like, what's this box? They open it up and they're like, oh my God, this is an old suit. And they're like, dude, you know, it'd be hilarious. Yeah, we'll that's how it starts. Throw this bad boy on. We'll just walk <laughs> around. And then what if it was... Like an independently wealthy guy who inherited his grandfather's mm-hmm. old Michelin man suit, who spent, he, he's kind of like a Howard Hughes, but yeah. instead of like, you know, putting his life into like something productive, he spent his whole life traveling around the globe, just scaring the shit out of people in that suit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a part of me I think that we nailed it. I think we got it. That's it. I mean, yeah. I think we figured it out. This is a mm-hmm. this is a that would be red exclusive. We've mm-hmm. solved the case. It's just a rich asshole. Yeah, absolutely. So if you've enjoyed this episode, we welcome you to come back because we got many episodes left of Camp Rad Strangeness International where we're digging into these weird accounts that hopefully you've never heard of from all across the globe. If you would like to drop us a line or say hello or join the That Would Be Rad family. Head on over to Instagram, shoot us a comment, shoot us a DM if you want to tell us about your own local 
paranormal, whatever event that is personal to you, we'd love to hear it. If you want to write it out in more of like an essay form, shoot it over to that would be radpod at gmail.com. Even better than that, we would love to hear your beautiful voices mm-hmm. telling your own story. And you can do that at thatwouldberadpodcast.com where you can tell your story directly on the site. We can take it with your permission and throw it on a future episode. We have a good bit sort of stockpiled at, mm-hmm. at this point, and uh, we're going to be kind of inserting them you know, in episodes here in the future. But uh, from that page or from the website, you can jump on and listen to past episodes on podcatchers. You can leave us a five-star review. It really, really does help. Uh, I know it seems like a such a trivial little thing, but like it actually, you know, kind of does manipulate the algorithm, if you will, in our favor. Mm. Even more so than that, get out there and tell a single friend about the show We'd love to have them just like we love to have you. If you're not getting enough, that would be rad content here on the free feed. Head on over to Patreon and join the Rabbit Trail, which is our exclusive Patreon. Uh, There's many different tiers to fit your financial situation. And uh, yeah, it's just more of what you love. Mm -hmm. uh, For example, this conversation is going to continue as soon as we uh, end here. And there's going to be more available for our patrons. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's how it works. So, we hope to see you here in the summer. We hope your your summer is off to a great start. You're just, you know, you're having fun on the sun. You're getting your sunscreen ready. You're just look, you know, looking forward to traveling, doing whatever you're doing. We hope you're having an awesome summer and uh, come back next week. So, with that, we love you. We appreciate you. And as always, be rad. That's the way it My favorite song
time where I just needed some sunshine You were already dead before you became a ghost You always said our future would be a parade of flowers But now all that's left is a single rose That's the way Granted. Can you hear me now? Who wants to be a millionaire? <laughs> okay, look, I'm going to do that that thing. So let's just... Um, that we'll thing. Just, <laughs> that we just talked about before oh, okay, I okay, hit okay, the record yeah. button. Mm-hmm. Like, welcome to Earth, bro. Okay, okay, that's enough. We are your camp counselors, Woody Brown. And Tyler Bentz. I mean... Am I just imagining? Okay, that was on purpose. Okay, okay. No, 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 let's let's hit it again. That was a joke. We are your camp counselors, Woody Brown. And Tyler Bentz. There you go. Because mine was a one-take kind of situation. You know, first take, boom, we got it. I mean, we've always called you one-take Woody, so. That's it? In the band days. And then you were about like three to four-take Tyler. But anyway, I... um, Well, well, we called you one-take Woody, but then after you would leave, then I would come back in and play all your parts. And redo my parts. (laughs) Yeah, and I appreciate you for it. Um, <laughs> most of the time I'd be like, I mean, can you just do that for me? Oh, <laughs> it but is the funny it, thing is like, because my style, everybody, this is what people don't understand. It's almost like a fingerprint, dude. Like mm-hmm. two people could play the same thing, literally the same chords in the same chord structure yeah. over a rhythm part mm-hmm. and the style and the way that they strum and the, and the you know, all that stuff mm-hmm. is, is actually way different. And so like, we listen to a part that you like played the rhythm to or something, and I'd be like, "Well, I'll just go back in there." <laughs> okay, anyway, you're so stupid. Uh, it is funny though how whenever you're exhausted in the studio, how how quickly you go from being like, "Man, I just, just want to be an authentic piece of work," you know, a piece of art. Yeah, man. To, to going from that to to yeah, man. Just let me just get one good take, then just punch the rest of the song just punch it in yeah especially whenever you're dealing with like very sort of irresponsible 20 year olds who are just like can we just hurry up and like i mean do we have to be here while this guy's doing that because we you know we'd like to go to the we'd like to go drink down the street or something and i'm like that is not me you're not talking about me no 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 no. not talking about you because like you and i both love that stuff and Mm -hmm. and i'm not trying to talk trash about our uh you know bandmates Mm-hmm. They just, you know, we're in a different uh, uh, space there. Okay, mm-hmm. 
<clears throat> it moved along the streets. Boop. It moved along the streets. Mm. Me, man. Street. Street. <laughs> How about Cardiff Giant? Have you have you ever heard of have you ever heard of that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Put up here later. Okay, here we go. And it's from Australia, so make sure you Is it an Australian accent or what? <laughs> yeah, full on. I thought I'd share my experience. It's known that I have had a sighting in Australia. The southwest corner of Western Australia can to be exact. No, I'm not doing that, dude. Okay. <laughs> oh, man, the best is yours. Oh, man, that's fine. 